This is Ed Mazur, Chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our speaker today was Dr. John J. Shannon, the Chief Executive Officer of the Cook County Healthcare System. He was appointed CEO in June of 2014 after serving as the system's Chief of Clinical Integration. Dr. Shannon is a graduate of St. Ignatius College Prep. He earned his bachelor's degree from Spring Hill College and his medical degree from Rush Medical. He is trained in internal medicine, was a chief resident at the University of Texas Southwestern Affiliated Hospitals in Dallas, and has earned specialty training in pulmonary and critical care in medicine at the University of Michigan Medical Center in Ann Arbor. Dr. Shannon talked about the Cook County health care system. He pointed out that only 3% of the county's health operating expenses come from local taxpayers. More than 50% of all charity care in Cook County is provided by Cook County health care systems, and that has been their major mission for over 180 years. 83% of the single adult homeless in Cook County receive care from Cook County Health. 45% of the patients that go to the hospital are uninsured at the time of care. One in three of the patients is food insecure, and one in five of county care members are housing insecure. Cook County County Care, the largest Medicaid-managed care plan in Cook County, and the hospitals have the busiest emergency department trauma units in the state of Illinois. Cook County Healthcare System, it's an amazing place. Please welcome President of the Cook County Board of Commissioners, Tony Preckwinkle. Good afternoon, everybody. There we go. I like that. Lots of energy. Um, I want to begin by acknowledging, uh, again, some folks who are in the room. Commissioner Deer, where are you? (laughs) Commissioner Deer is chair of our health and hospital system. We're very grateful that he joined us. Are there any other commissioners in the room that I missed? Okay. Um, I want to acknowledge our board members, Mary Richardson-Lowry of the Health and Hospital System. Thank you, Mary. Are there any other board members who are with us? Pardon me? Ah, Mary Guggenheim. Thank you very much. Did I miss anybody else? Okay. Uh, I also want to acknowledge Joe Flanagan. Where'd you go, Joe? There he is. Joe Flanagan is head of the Foundation for the Health and Hospital System. Thank you, Joe, for your good work. I'm here today to introduce Dr. Shannon, head of our Health and Hospital System. And as many of you are aware, uh, Health and Hospitals comprises about uh, 50%, about half of our budget in the county. The other 35% that's a big bucket is criminal justice reform. And I would be remiss today if I didn't acknowledge the help and support that we've received in our criminal justice reform efforts from Ann Burke, who started out... Uh, who was our first head of our Justice Advisory Council. Needless to say, it was very helpful to have a Supreme Court justice (laughs) in that position. And uh, her help has been um, just tremendously critical to the reforms that we've tried to institute in our criminal justice system. So thank you, Justice Burke. We're very grateful. For 180 years, our health and hospital system has served whoever has come to our doors regardless of their race or gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation or ability to pay. And I'm very proud of that fact. The Affordable Care Act uh, provided us with tremendous resources to deliver that care. And one of the um, ways in which we were to access we were access that help was through our county care program, our own uh, Medicaid-managed care program that was part of one of the many sort of moving parts of the Affordable Care Act. And county care brought us resources to support patients who in the past we'd served without compensation. And so the Affordable Care Act has been a tremendous boon, not just to the people who were given insurance for the first time in their lives on a consistent basis, but also to our health and hospital system. 
And, you know, we're in a difficult situation now, partly because the President of the United States has chosen to do everything he can to decimate the Affordable Care Act. Uh, And without a a majority in the House, what he's done at the executive level is reduce resources to market the Affordable uh, Care Act's components, of course, one of which is Medicaid expansion, um, and reduce the number of staff people who are on board to help people access enrollment opportunities and re-enrollment opportunities. And at the state level, our previous governor, who shall be nameless, decided that the way in which he would reduce Medicaid rolls was not to process Medicaid applications that came to the state. So these applications are generated at the local level, but they go to the state for processing. And when uh, Governor Pritzker came into office, there was a backlog of 170,000 applications at the state level, enrollments or re-enrollments that had not been processed by the state. Disgraceful. Uh, And uh, my understanding is that 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 backlog has been whittled down by about half, but there's still a ways to go. And many of those those folks, of course, were Cook County residents. And many of them were were potentially um, either Medicaid (coughs) uh, recipients or broadly or members of our Medicaid expansion program, County Care. So it was a loss not just to those individuals in terms of coverage, but a loss to our health care system because we continued, of course, to serve those patients whether or not they were insured. I'm very grateful to Dr. Jay Shannon for his leadership of our health and hospital system. He's been our CEO, I think, for about five years now. I'm told he's a graduate of St. Ignatius. Of, there's some St. Ignatius folks in the crowd. Uh, I know he went to Spring Hill College and to Rush Medical School. <clears throat> He's a pulmonary and, and critical care physician and sits on the board of the Illinois Health and Hospital Association and the Greater Chicago Food Depository here at home and Spring Hill College, his alma mater. He's been our health care CEO since 2014. And in that time, the healthcare system has generated millions of dollars in revenue, received the same accreditations and certifications as other hospitals, and created the largest Medicaid health plan in the, in the county, addressing critical social determinants of health like food and housing security. Please welcome Dr. Jay Shannon. Uh, thank you, Madam President, and uh, thanks to the City Club, Jay, Ed, uh, Jackie, for inviting me. I want to acknowledge before getting started with my remarks, um, and Jackie, I don't have the clicker. <laughs> I, I don't have that, but if there is one around, I could use it. Um, I want to also acknowledge a couple of other uh, board members that are here uh, from the Health System Board, David Menar, and also a... Uh, a uh, recovering health system board member, Carmen Velasquez. Carmen? Oh, thank you. All right. I also want to uh, acknowledge other members of the Health Foundation Board that are here, Abe Thompson, Fred Labed, Bill Kling, and if there are any others that I missed, I'm sorry about that. They helped to raise funds for the health system. I want to acknowledge my family that's here in the front row, usually in the cheap seats. In, in, including my wife, uh, my wife Robin, and um, and lastly, uh, I do want to thank my friends from uh, Ignatius. They told me that they were going to bring the car to the back, uh, the kitchen entrance, and if I need to sneak out undercover, they would have my back. So that's a that's a very very good thing. I'm going to be discussing with you today something that I think uh, is of importance. I've got a biased view in this, of course, but I think it should be of importance to anybody who lives in the county. And that's the health system and some of the challenges that we face, even with the improvements that we've seen under the Affordable Care Act over the past few years. I'm going to walk you through that. As the president mentioned, the health system has been around for more than 180 years. And it's always had the same mission. It's always taken care, very specifically, of vulnerable communities. And I would point out, it has always been disproportionately the provider of charity care and care to immigrant populations. I think this should be important for everybody in this room. Without a healthy community, it's hard to have a healthy economy or a robust or equitable community. And we think that's been our mission uh, since its founding. What most people don't understand is the complexity and the breadth of the health system. So I spoke earlier this morning to new employees, as I do every two weeks. 
And I always start my talk by giving them the anatomy and the physiology of the health system. And these are the four major anatomic parts of the healthcare system. They include our provider base. And uh, with apologies to, uh, to uh, Kanye, uh, we're not part of the safety net. We are the safety net in Cook County. We way disproportionately provide care to people who have no other place for care. And I'm going to go into some details showing you that. And we're big and we're busy. We're a very robust training program. County Care, which is, was started as a federal demonstration project in 2012, is now the largest Medicaid health plan in Cook County. It's important to know that while nationally one in, five, one in uh, five people in the country is insured by Medicaid, in Illinois it's one in four. In Cook County alone there are a million Medicaid enrollees and one-third of them, about 320,000, are in our Medicaid health plan. It's important to recognize that Cook County Health is the largest provider in the county care network, but it's far from the only provider, with some 50 other hospitals, 20,000 other physicians in that network. And it's also important to recognize that as a very new plan, it's doing great things. It was recently recognized by the National Center for Quality Assurance as having the highest score of all the Medicaid managed care plans in Cook County. And if, and if you ask the state, the state will also tell you <clears throat> that it's a plan that has the fewest number of complaints from the provider community about it. So it's a very robust plan, and as I'll talk about when I get into the budget, you'll see that it's robust to the local economy. We're also proud of the fact that we provide health care services both at the Cook County Jail and at the Juvenile Temporary Detention Center. Providing care there is the right thing to do, and it's also strategically important because the populations that are coming through there are driving some of the health care disparities that we see in Cook County, where populations that are breathing the same air, drinking the same water, have differences in life expectancy of 25 to 30 years, depending on what zip code they're born in, in Cook County. And lastly, we provide the public health function for suburban Cook County, some 2.5 million residents in 125 different municipalities. Now, aside from the fact that we like to think that we're doing God's work, we're kept to the same standards and expectations as any other healthcare system operating in this space. These are just a few of the recognitions and accreditations that our healthcare system as a provider gets. As well, we're one of the few public health departments in the country that is certified by FAB, the Public Health Accreditation Board. So um, those are all nice things to have. But what I want to talk with you today is about the challenges that we're facing financially. Tomorrow, I'll be at the Cook County Board bright and early and talking about our FY20 budget. Our fiscal year starts December 1st. And we'll be talking about the challenges within the FY20 budget. I've taken six budgets to the county board, and there is no doubt that the FY20 budget is the most challenging of these for reasons that I'll share with you in just a minute. So here's our budget at a high level. It's about a $3 billion budget. Now, it's important to recognize that out of that $2.8 billion, Fully $1.8 billion is county care. And when you recognize the fact that even though we are a busy provider within county care, the majority of the premiums that we get for county care go out to other non-Cook County health providers. So here's the math. County care is $1.8 billion. $1.5 billion of that goes out to every other health care provider in the county that is not Cook County Health. Put another way, if you look at the county's budget as a whole for FY20 of $6 billion, one quarter of it is supporting the local health care community through premiums we pay for people who are providing care to county care members. As a provider, our budget is about a billion dollars, and we provide those services with some 6,600 6, employees. We are trying to keep up with our facilities and with capital equipment. 
because we want to be providing first-rate care, not second-class care, and that requires capital dollars. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit as well. But you can see that these are challenges that we have within the budget. Here's the budget as a whole compared to FY19s. Again, coming in at about $2.8 billion and a balanced budget for 20. But I'll be frank with you that when we put in our budget for FY20, which includes a three-year projection, we have a hard time seeing a balanced budget in FY21 and in FY22. These are the three years that are informed by the strategic plan that our board approved in the summer and the county board approved last week. Now, this is an important slide. This looks at the revenues of the health care system. This is that $2.8 billion, if you will. Everything that you see here to the left in Salmon is county care revenues. And you'll notice that out of that $1.8 billion, we anticipate $173 million coming to the health system for services that we provide to county care members. You'll see also that we anticipate getting a little more than $500 million in services that we provide to other insured individuals who are in other Medicaid plans who have Medicare or commercial insurance. We provide them services, we bill for those services, and we collect for those services. Now, unique to us as revenue are these two items, BIPA and DISH, and I want to spend a minute talking about them because they are the dollars that support people who don't have insurance. These dollars are for county care members. We bill county care for each encounter. These are for every encounter we do on somebody who has a different kind of insurance. But these dollars come to us as a block. These are really federal Medicaid dollars. But it's a couple of important things to understand about them. They are to help us because of our unique position taking care of such a large proportion of people who have either no insurance or Medicaid. A second thing to recognize, these dollars have been flat for at least 10 years. A third thing to recognize is that these dollars, disproportionate share hospital dollars, are threatened. As part of the plan for paying for the Affordable Care Act, there was a glide path where the DISH dollars would go down nationally. If that was to be enacted, we would lose in the coming fiscal year $22 million. But what I want you to think about is that these two sets of dollars, some $289 million, are the dollars that we have to take care of people who register to us and don't have an insurer. All right? Keep that number in mind, $289 million. Now, here is looking at the county's expenditures for the health system over time. And 2013 till today, and I want to walk you through that, this bottom number is the amount that comes to operations. So this is the 20 budget that's proposed, $112 million. This uh, tangerine is money that goes toward pensions of current and former health system employees. And this number on the top, $137 million, is for legacy pension, I'm sorry, legacy debt associated with the health system. Now, we turn around, and if the uh, proposed budget is approved, we turn around and we take $29 million out of this total, and we contribute it also to the pension amount. So we're left with about $83 million toward operations. But recognize that these dollars are all behind the scrim. They do not come to us for operations or expenditures that we need to make when we're actually delivering care to the uninsured. Recognize also that if uh, this was based on a 4% uh, you know, borrowing rate, just as a, as a thought experiment, this would suggest that we have $3 billion of assets in the health system, which we, which we don't. Now, this is a different look. This is year over year the amount of local tax dollars that come to the operating budget of the health care system. 2009 was the first budget that the new health system board, the independent board, passed. And that year we got $481 million from local taxpayers to the operations of the health care system. This year, as I mentioned, it's $83 million. That is a very, very substantial drop. 
And I want you to think about the fact that this drop has allowed the county to redirect resources elsewhere uh, in the county's uh, responsibilities. Now, when we think about the realities that the healthcare system has to face, these are just a handful of them. It's important to recognize, as an example, that our health care costs for providing correctional health and public health, which we do as part of an integrated system, those are a county responsibility. Those two services alone cost us more than $83 million a year. We're not insulated because we're doing God's work from general inflation of health care expenses, whether it's for pharmaceuticals or for surgical equipment and supplies. Every year, we have to work our way around increases that happen in salaries. And those salaries, you know, out of our 6,600 employees, 90% of them belong to a bargaining unit. And those bargaining units sit down and bargain for salary increases. So every year, we're looking at a significant number of dollars associated with salary increases that we need to meet. The reduction in the local tax allocation has been a challenge for us. I'm going to go into some more detail about that in a moment. But in addition to that, as I'll share with you, these realities are happening at a time where our portion of charity care has gone up in the county and our expenses related to those have gone up. So let me take a little bit of a sidelight and talk to you a bit about uncompensated care. When you talk to a health executive about uncompensated care, you're talking about two buckets of dollars. Dollars that are spent on charity care, people who had no payer, and dollars that are spent on bad debt, people who had a payer that didn't pay, or people who said that they could pay and they couldn't pay. People ask us a lot about why are your charity care numbers going up, and I'd be happy to get into some detail about that as we go through this. But let me just first step back and tell you that this is a social problem. This graph is showing you the uninsured rate first in the country, okay, tracking over time in this uh, teal bar that you see here. And you can see that when the Affordable Care Act was passed, nationally about 17 or 18 percent of the population was uninsured. We got to American modern nadir in this in the summer of 2016. This is the lowest it's ever been since it's been recorded. And there has been a rise, in part for the reasons that the president alluded to in, in her introduction, both at the federal level and at the state level. Now below that in black, you see the Illinois uninsured rate, trending basically with the national rate. Some one million people got coverage since the Affordable Care Act in Illinois that were not insured. And just like nationally, about two-thirds of it was through Medicaid expansion, about a third of it through uh, marketplace plans. Notice also that it's going up. Today it's about 9%. But up here is the proportion of people that Cook County Health takes care of who are uninsured. Now you can see that before the Affordable Care Act, the majority of people we took care of were uninsured. In the summer of 16, we got to our historical low. At that point, 64% were insured, 36% uninsured. But this year, 45% uninsured. So in the state, 9%. In the people who come to see us for care, 45% don't have a payer. If you look at our payer mix overall, what you see is that 45% who don't have a payer, 33% with Medicaid, think 80% of the people that we're taking care of have either Medicaid, which is historically the lowest payer out of any type of insurance that you can have, or no payment. That is a payer mix that no healthcare executive wants to have to deal with. But this is our historical mission, and this is our challenge. Now, again, just to put this into contrast, what I'm showing you here is Stroger Hospital inpatient payer mix, okay, in the teal, and then Illinois Health Service Area 6, which is the region of the state that we're in. Let's walk through these differences. Private insurance, well, everybody else hopes that they've got a lot of this. We've got less than 5%. 
The uninsured, everybody else wants to keep this as low as they can. For us, it's 45%. Medicaid, people want to keep this really, really low. For us, it's our best and our most common form of insurance for the people that we care for who do have insurance. Medicare, which pays far better than Medicaid, again, you can see the trade-off here. Our competitors have lots of Medicare and lots of private insurance, very little self-pay, and less Medicaid, and we're the exact opposite. This is the game changer for us, though. This is our actual costs of providing charity care year over year, actual costs. And what you see here is an explosive growth, particularly over the last two years, where you can see in 2017 we did $273 million, and this year, which will end at the end of November, we're going to be close to $380 million. Now, again, I want to take you back to the idea that if DISH and BIPA are supposed to pay for that, if DISH and BIPA are supposed to offset our costs of charity care, then in the last two years, DISH and BIPA have come up $150 million short for us. We've had to pay more than that block grant, if you will, that came in. And we're anticipating a growth in 2020 of 4%. This is just natural growth. We have no reason to think that it's different. Now, why does this happen? These are some colleagues that were mentors of mine when I started cutting my teeth at county in 1990. A couple of general internists, some names that you might recognize, Bob Schiff, who's at Loyola now, uh, Dave Ansel, Ahmed Idris, who was in the ED at that time, is now at my uh, old place down in Dallas in Parkland, Steve Whitman, rest in peace, an important public health epidemiologist. And what they studied was the phenomenon that was captured by a cartoonist by this. It was came, came to be known as dumping. Dumping is what happens when you show up at a private not-for-profit hospital in the 80s and you fail the wallet biopsy. <laughs> and then they would say, why don't you go to county? And what they found out when they studied these 500 individuals was that the most common reason that they were sent was that they didn't have insurance. That a huge proportion of them ended up in the intensive care unit the first day. They described babies halfway out of their mothers because there was no obligation in the 1980s to deliver an uninsured baby. These discoveries and other pressure from other public hospitals led to the federal law called EMTALA, which requires hospitals now to take care of people if they present an extremis, whether they have insurance or not. But there is no obligation to take care of somebody who's uninsured when they're stable. Here are a couple of examples from last week. But I want you to understand that these happen every day. Here's a patient from a hospital that provided less than $10 million in charity care in 17. That was the year we provided 277. The patient will need to present to Cook County Hospital for dialysis three times a week. Okay, this patient is going to cost a minimum $85,000 the first year that we take care of him with his renal failure. How about this one? Uh, the patient was supposed to have repeat imaging and refer to surgery. Why? Because she had been diagnosed with colorectal cancer with metastases to her liver. But the patient doesn't have insurance, which is causing a delay. Well, this isn't a delay. She was discharged and showed up that day with this discharge summary in our emergency room. Follow up at Cook County. The first year will be lucky if it only costs us $100,000. And if this patient does well with the excellent cancer care that we give her, it's going to cost probably a quarter of a million dollars for this episode of illness before we're done. So to put this in broader terms, if you look at all the hospitals in Cook County before the Affordable Care Act, $690 million spent on charity care, we did 37% of that, or $257 million. Good news with the Affordable Care Act, charity care overall 
in Illinois, in Cook County, in the country went down. But what happened here? Our charity care went up. More people insured out in the world, our charity care went up. When the numbers from 2019 are tallied, I am certain that we will have provided 60% of the charity care of some 60 hospitals in Cook County. So how did we manage this? Well, we managed this uh, by being wily. You know, in many ways, I had an old mentor at County who used to say, we're so far behind that we're ahead. (laughs) And what he meant by that was, we've always had to ration. We've always had to think carefully about the tests that we're using. I'm looking at a table of my colleagues from the emergency department over there. They don't do every test under the book. They try and do what they can to be tight about things. But in addition to that, recognize that county care, our Medicaid health plan, has infused more than a billion dollars into the health system over the past five years. And when you've got the fixed costs of running a level one trauma center 24-7, 365, that is never on divert status, that one billion dollars becomes critically important. Contrary to the assertions of the Inspector General, we have made significant improvements in our revenue cycle management. You can see just one manifestation of that here. In the past four years, 60% increase in the number of bills that we've been able to generate by improvements in our revenue cycle. Now, that's good news. The bad news is, as I shared with county commissioners last week, is that this year we've seen a growth of some 9% in charges related to people who have no payer. And we've seen a reduction of 3% in charges to people who do have a payer. Why? Well, in part because the uninsured crowd out people who have insurance. How else have we done it? Well, we've done it with those block grants, which are the most important part of the funding mechanism for charity care today in Cook County. So, what I hope I've shared with you today is the challenge and the conundrum that we have. But the thing that the commissioners and our board are asking our team is, how are we going to make this work going forward? We've been able to do it for 180 years. How do we face this going forward? At the end of the day, I would submit that this is a moral challenge for the country. We're not going to be able to take care of charity care by doing a better job only with our revenue cycle. We have to get people covered. Whether that's a state initiative, whether that's a federal initiative, it is an astonishing stain on our country that the wealthiest country in the world, at the wealthiest time in its history, still has one in seven residents without health care coverage. That's astonishing, and it has to change. We have to see more effort from the other hospitals in Cook County. We simply have to. Later today, I'm going to be sending a note to the CEO of every hospital in the county, sharing them this information and why this can't stand. You know, we, we simply can't have, the, we can't have the circumstances that those new dumping episodes happen to us and other private not-for-profit systems, many of whom are turning profits that are in the tens of millions of dollars, can turn people away and say, get your expensive care at the county system. We just don't have the money in the tank to do that. Now, strategies that we will be pursuing and these are political strategies, is finding somehow monies at either the federal, state, or county level. We simply don't have the dollars to do it in the healthcare system alone. We've done enough, uh, you know, I think, uh, we've done as much as I think we can with collecting revenues from county care. One of my concerns is whether or not we'll ever limit care. Now again, let me share with you the math. This year, $377 million on charity care. That's more than a million dollars a day. BIPA and DISH, if we burn it at a million dollars a day, gets us nine months into our fiscal year. Then what do we do? 
Well, what I can tell you we won't do is we won't turn people away, like some of our colleagues do. We won't turn them away. But I can tell you as a doctor who's practiced in the system for 21 years, this is what it looks like. You wait, or you find yourself in a procedure area or the intensive care unit asking the nurse for a piece of equipment and it's not there, or you have to borrow it from someplace, or you delay. That's what this looks like if we don't find a solution. We're going to have to consider, if we don't find solutions to this, how we consolidate services. And I hope we don't have to reduce services in that. But at the end of the day, everybody's got to be paid. As I tell people at orientation, if they work in public health or correctional health, they are being supported by local taxpayer dollars, direct dollars that are going to their salary. Everybody else is being supported by these other revenues that we're bringing into the system, either federal block grants, county care dollars, or dollars for care that we provide to people who have insurance. So we need help, we need ideas, and we need political support because these are going to be a challenge for all of us. So I look forward to your questions, but I hope that when you think about the county health system, you'll reflect on the fact that if we've got a circumstance where we're providing this care to people who live in our county, people who are doing services for all of us, people who are paying taxes but they can't get insured or they can't afford insurance, I hope you'll reflect on the fact that Cook County Health is an asset to the entire county. Thank you for your attention. Thanks so much, Dr. Shannon. Thank you. I don't think there are too many people in this room that would like to take on your responsibility, Jay. I'll tell you that. Okay. We've got a number of questions here. We'll try to answer as many of them as we can. This is from City Club Program Chair Anne St. Germain. Can you share plans for the new Provident Hospital and the Capital Program? Uh, thank you, Ann. So last week, the Health Facilities Review Board for the state gave us approval to build a new facility at the Provident campus. Provident, as you know, is historically important as the first hospital owned and operated by African-American uh, physicians. We have been operating uh, Provident Hospital since 1993, but the current facility, which is almost, uh, oh, geez, it's almost 40 years old now, is, is really looking, it's looking its age. So our plan is to open a smaller, efficient facility that will open in uh, 2023. It will be an eight-story, 48-bed facility, uh, which will include med surge beds, ICU beds, but most importantly, advanced ambulatory services. It's really going to be most busy as an ambulatory facility. And we will be doing that, and the health system will be paying down the expenses related to building that out of its operations. We have been buying our own capital equipment for the last five fiscal years. We used to get a separate line item uh, uh, from the county for capital equipment. Mm -hmm. We picked that up five years ago. So that is, again, part of our continuing challenge is how to fund these things out of operations, but that's what we'll be doing. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. First open heart surgery anywhere in the world. That's correct. Performed by Dr. Daniel Hale Williams at Provident. Okay, this is from Susie Cassidy, who's with St. Mary's Amita Health. Where are you, Susie? Right back there. She wants to know what your plans are for citywide increase with behavioral health. How can we continue to fund these necessary behavioral health programs? So that's a, that's a great question. And for those of you who, who don't use this language very often, when we say uh, behavioral health, we're really putting over an umbrella on mental health services as well as substance use disorder services. We started about five years ago a multi-year strategy that included integration of behavioral health in our community-based health centers, evidence-based medication-assisted treatment for individuals that we care for in the system as well as at the Cook County Jail. Thirdly, we stood up what's called the Behavioral Health Consortium of Illinois. It is now a 12-member 
community-based organizations that provide services across the county of various types. And lastly, we opened two triage centers, one in the Roseland community and one in Garfield Park, which are open 24-7 to allow people or family members or police to bring somebody who's suffering a mental health crisis for stabilization and then referral to community-based services. Simply put, we would not be able to do those things if we didn't have the wind in our sails of the expansion of Medicaid. And if any efforts were made to repeal or replace and that ended up in less coverage, fewer people covered, those behavioral health strategies would also falter. And all you have to do is to work in this space. We know that one in six people in our emergency departments have a a confounding mental health disorder. Same with in the uh, wards of Stroger Hospital. And one in three detainees at the jail today is getting active treatment for a mental health problem. So the only way we've been able to pull that off, Susie, is with Medicaid dollars, and that's why we've got to be able to support that. Okay, thank you very much. Um, This is from Stephanie Love Patterson. She's with um, Connections for Abused Women and Their Children. And this came in over the Internet. We can always take questions over the Internet. Question. Connections for Abused Women and Their Children has operated a domestic violence program at Stroger since 1992. Do you see opportunities to promote this life-saving service in the future? Well, we always uh, hope to do that, and they've been an an excellent partner. Again, I I alluded at a high level, and I didn't get you into the gory details of the FY20 budget. But we had to take a a pretty blunt scalpel, frankly, to the 20 budget. Our two biggest expenses in the health care system are our personnel, just like any other human service, it's personnel costs, and then our second uh, biggest is purchased services. And so we contract with all kinds of uh, people who help us to provide services. But when you're faced with the gap that we have in funding for our charity care expense, you have to work around that. And so I don't know where we are, frankly, with the contract for that particular organization. What I can assure the questioner is, is we won't, con- we won't discontinue services to women and men who are victims of domestic violence. Thank you. Uh, these questions uh, are related. I'll combine them. Uh, one is from Carmen Velasquez with Healthy in- Illinois and Alivio Medical Center, and the other must be from her colleague, Esther Corpus with Alivio Medical Center. Am I right, ladies? Yeah. Okay, good. You remember transactional analysis, Dr. J? First, they give you a pat on the back. This is from Carmen. Thank you, Dr. Shannon, for your continuation of support to poor people who do not have health coverage, including undocumented immigrants. Now for the question. How do we ensure that not-for-profit hospitals with huge margins and who benefit from tax-exempt status are held responsible for their portion of charity care other than asking them? Uh, The simple answer is there isn't a tool. There's certainly not a tool that the head of the county health system can wield um, other than moral suasion, leadership, uh, etc., the, the protected status that private not-for-profit systems get is really a function of state regulations, and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a county issue. And so uh, data on how much charity care is done by every hospital in the state is published every year. Last week, the state published it for 2018. And you're able to see it. And there are guidelines about these kinds of things, but there is absolutely no enforcement that's happening at the state level about that. And so, and, uh, and, and so that's the conundrum. So the note that I'm sending out to CEOs today is asking them to step up and asking them to engage with us about how they can do more and do better with their charity care. But at the end of the day, only those uh, executives and their boards can make a final decision about that. Okay, thank you very much. Um, this is from uh, Gwen Cohn. Gwen, where are you at? 
Way in the back there. She's with Morgan Stanley. Give some, us some money. You need some money? Go. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to read your question unless you agree to give him a few bill. Her question is, how do we go about making the general population more aware of ways to donate to the foundation? And in, um, I guess that's the question. All right. So I want you to meet Joe Flanagan. Joe? Joe, stand yeah, up. All right. Joe's the chair of our foundation board. And, uh, you know, the foundation board is just getting its legs. We've got a terrific board. Uh, we had a gala last month that helped to raise um, money for the health care system. But, you know, it's, it's important to recognize this, and I'm really grateful for the question. The challenge with uh, foundations is, like many things in, in society, is they are uh, uh, counterintuitive. The rich get richer, and we get very little. So whenever you see a big splash about somebody giving 10 or 100 or 150 million to a health system, it's always going to a health system that already has a very lustrous endowment and a profit margin. So we need to do better in this space. I know that we can. Uh, the place that I operated in, uh, Dallas, for many years, had a very, very robust support from the business community for its foundation. It helped to raise hundreds of millions of dollars over the last 10 years there, and I hope we can do the same. Okay, thank you very much, and thanks. That was a very good question, Gwen. Um, this is from Judy Perloff with the Chicago House and Social Services Agency. Judy, where are you? Okay, thank you very much. Um, can you talk about housing initiatives currently at Cook County and how it integrates with and influences health care and the jail? Although we don't like to use that word. How do you anticipate working with nonprofit partners? Oh, well, thanks for that question because you reminded me of something I forgot to say. <laughs> You've got folders at your seats that have uh, additional, and we've got uh, also folders on your way out that have some other information about some of the work that we're doing about the health system as a whole. And just to give you one case in point, when we are enrolling people in county care, we do a health risk screen, asking them about their medical history, but also asking them about social determinants of health. For the population of adults that are new to Medicaid, consistently, since 2012, one in five is housing insecure, one in five. When we look at people that we're caring for in our clinics, in the community, one in three is food insecure. So these social determinants of health sometimes make the health care delivery pale in comparison. We are now in the third year of a housing strategy where we're partnering not only with CHA in the city, but with the housing authority of uh, Cook County that Rick uh, Menacchio runs, and with private funders and HUD to try to create pools of dollars, and then we use those and apply those to people who are most in need. We did a recent analysis that showed that if you looked at the city of Chicago's homeless database, 83% of the people in that database have been touched by our health care system and its services, 83%. The challenge that we have here is that, again, the monies that I shared with you and the gap challenge that we have is just around clinical care. It doesn't put in social determinants of health. So we're going to have to find other funding sources, whether those are federal dollars from federal agencies or state dollars or whether those are philanthropic dollars. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is from City Club member Tony Ameri. Tony, where are you? Oh, over there. Sure. Um, what areas are you looking to leverage new and innovative technologies to reach your strategic initiative and improve patient care? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good question. And I, I'm happy to say that um, we are creating in the FY20 budget a Center for Innovation. And that Center for Innovation is really marrying up two existing divisions in the health system today. One is our Office of Programmatic Services and Innovation, and the other is our Collaborative Research Unit. That Programmatic Services Innovation is a long name for beating the bushes to find dollars outside the healthcare system to support our strategic goals. And the CRU 
is the advanced analytics part of our healthcare system, and they've done phenomenal work. So we're marrying these two up. Now, just last week at our board, the board accepted an approved receipt of some $4 million in grants that we were able to get through the Office of Programmatic Services and Innovation. And those are almost always specifically located at work that we're doing around social determinants of health, housing insecurity, food insecurity, justice-involved populations, and the like. But what our advanced analytic team does is two things. They help us to target which individuals to go after, and they also at the back end are able to do analysis of the effectiveness of the interventions that we're doing around that, and they're doing that with the benefit of a huge data set. We're a HIMSS level seven organization, which simply means our electronic health record, which we've been on for almost 20 years, is at the highest level of interoperability. This is a recognition that fewer than 10% of health systems in the country have, and we use that information to try and figure out, you know, who are the people at highest risk. We're able to do that with real-time alerts. So if an individual shows up now at our hospital and comes from a, from a nursing home, and it turns out that they had been in another hospital and had a complex drug-resistant bacterial infection, we know it the minute that they hit our emergency room and we can isolate that patient and start taking care of them the, the, the right way. That's discovery that was done within our healthcare system, and it was done with extramural funding, not taxpayer funding. Okay, thank you. Now, final question. This is from Sashi Singh, who's with Agile N2N Inc. And you talked about you know different languages and that. I'm not quite sure I understand it, but you will. How do you envision to break the silos? among different functions and departments to eliminate waste and maximize value. I like that word, silos. Well, it's an ongoing uh, challenge within the healthcare system, but I'd like to think that we're there. In, in fact, when I showed you those four parts of the healthcare system and when I talked to the staff at orientation, I'm always telling them that we're trying to use those four pieces, our our provider platform, our correctional health platform, our Medicaid health plan, and our public health function, we break down those silos at the system level to address the health inequity that we see in Cook County. Breaking down the silos in other social agencies and other funding streams, like those streams that are around public education, that are around housing, that are around jobs and transportation, which we know have a huge impact on the health of individuals and communities, is a bigger challenge. We're heartened by the new leadership in Springfield at both DHS and Healthcare and Family Services because we think they're integrating many of the functions at the state level, and so we think that there are opportunities there. We'd like to be able to see that uh, have an impact on us and what we do. It's a sign one of us is done. Yeah, and I can't even find I can't even find my phone. I don't even know where it's coming from. Oh, oh, it's probably in my briefcase. <sighs> no, I used to hate this when I would lecture at the university and tell everybody to turn their phones off, and then your phone goes off. Ah! Okay, I apologize for that. Um, let's give Dr. Shannon a big, big round of applause. <laughs>